It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally near And I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way
Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 2nd of October. In our service today we've returned to the Gospel according to Luke and to some verses about faith. We've heard Russell Watson singing Faith of the Heart and in the rest of the service we have a mixture of traditional and contemporary worship songs. We have a few notices this week. We meet for worship at 10.30 this Sunday morning and our service will include a celebration of the Lord's Supper and all, of course, are welcome. There is a free church service at the Cathedral on Wednesday at 11am when the preacher will be the Reverend Andrew Prout, Minister of Hatfield Road and Marlborough Road Methodist Churches. Please make a note in your diary that we'll be welcoming the Reverend Jeff Colmer for our church anniversary service on the 16th of October. Jeff is recently retired as the team leader of the Central Baptist Association's ministry team and is a former president of the Baptist Union. There will be a church lunch after the service. Please sign up on the list in the link. Katrina and I will be on holiday next weekend and for the following week and there will be no podcasts for the next two Sundays. Normal service will be resumed on Sunday the 23rd of October. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 37. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for, like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and you will prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land.
creator of our world, saviour of our souls, guardian of our hearts, we come to you today acknowledging that we are yours. We belong to you, and in our belonging, we find faith. Faith to live our lives, celebrating your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Destroyer of death, giver of life, we worship you. We delight in you, in your steadfast love, in your nourishing strength, in your constant care. We adore you, our wonderful, marvellous and generous God. O God, where we have brought an agenda or expectation that is faithless or cynical, forgive us. Where we have considered ourselves better than we are or more deserving than others, forgive us. Where we have forgotten the call to faithfulness and dismissed your importance in our lives, forgive us. Where we have demanded special treatment and disregarded that which truly matters, forgive us. Give us a renewed faith today, O God. Remind us of your calling on our lives and restore us to community. Blessed be you, Lord God, for your forgiveness. This is the God who calls us, a generous and forgiving God. This is the God who redeems us, the one who made us and treasures us. This is the God who restores us, a leader worthy of our trust. We take a deep breath of God's grace and know that we can begin again. Let us go forward in renewed faith. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from ploughing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me? No, he says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, We are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty.
How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. These are the first few verses of an Old Testament book that's not often read in church. Habakkuk is responsible for one of what are called the books of the minor prophets. This doesn't mean that Habakkuk was less important than other prophets, just that his book is one of twelve short books. Habakkuk was prophesying at the time when his home in Jerusalem was threatened by the Babylonian army. This besieged the city and eventually plundered and pillaged it, taking many citizens into exile in their city of Babylon. What Habakkuk does is question God about the fate of the people. He asks God what he plans to do about people he calls the wicked. It seems most likely that the wicked to whom he refers were his own people, those who oppress the poor and the weak. God's answer is that they are to be punished by the Babylonians. But this answer raises more questions for Habakkuk because he doesn't understand how God can punish the wickedness of Jerusalem by using the army of a people who are even more wicked. God replies that Habakkuk needn't worry because the Babylonians, they'll get theirs later. There will also be a righteous remnant of God's people who will survive through their faith in God. This little book could be seen simply as a document relating to a particularly traumatic period in the history of Israel, but it also has something to say to us in our day. The question that Habakkuk raises is one that's probably been raised at some time in every century of human history. There was a documentary on TV once which suggested that the 14th century, the 1300s, was the worst in which to live. But we might say that the 21st century hasn't been too great so far. Habakkuk asks the sort of question that we might ask. How long will evil people hold sway in our world? But how hard would we find the answer that evil people will be judged and their punishment will come from those who are even more evil? In our more relativistic world, we might also question who are bad and who are badder. Habakkuk doesn't answer the conundrum of why bad people might get their just deserts at the hands of those who are even more deserving of punishment. But there are some things that do become clearer through Habakkuk's conversation with God. We learn that God's purposes in the world are often carried out by human agents. In this case, those agents are evil, but we should not let this special case obscure a general point, which that God works through people. Secondly, this implies what for Habakkuk and people in his world would have been old news, which is that God acts. For people of Habakkuk's time, a God who did not act would have been a waste of space. What would have been the point of a God if he didn't do anything? But the God of Israel and all the world is sovereign and acts accordingly. Sovereign acts can often appear mysterious and hard to fathom. 
But what makes these acts of God more readily acceptable is the knowledge that God is also just. We may not understand, but we know that God is right. The final point is a message of hope. While for the sake of his name God will punish the nation, those who hold true to their faith will survive. And it is this passage about faith which links into our New Testament passage. And there we find two stories. We all have faith. We have faith in the power of electricity to run our machines, faith in our brakes to stop our car, bus or train, and that our plane won't drop from the sky. We have faith in financial institutions, that our money will be available at the bank when we want it, that we'll get our pension when we retire, that what it says on our banknotes will be true, that the bearer will receive £10 on demand. And this is why the nation's current economic problems cause us concern, because our faith has been shaken. Faith comes into our reading today when some apostles say to Jesus, increase our faith. Jesus replies, if you had faith no bigger than a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Now I can't believe Jesus really said this. I'm not querying the sense of what is written here, but would he have really said, be uprooted and planted in the sea? I think the translators of this passage have got something to answer for. In my colloquial American paraphrase of the Bible, it reads thus. The apostles came up to Jesus and said to the Master, Give us more faith. But the Master said, You don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to that sycamore tree, Go jump in the lake, and it would do it. Go jump in the lake seems far more likely. Be uprooted indeed. The other reason I like this translation is because of the line of explanation that it adds to what Jesus says. There is no more or less when it comes to faith. You see, there is a slight problem with the illustration that Jesus chose to use. He chose a seed, something small, to illustrate that there was no size issue here. But a seed implies growth. And yet it isn't growth that's the point here. The point is that if you have faith... You can do anything. You don't need more. What does this say about the disciples? Does it mean that they don't have faith? Or does it mean that they have faith, but they've misunderstood the power that is theirs? Well, as is often the case, both answers might be correct. Certainly Jesus on more than one occasion addresses them as people with little faith, which might suggest that there are differing amounts of faith. But a better explanation might be that while there are not varying amounts of faith, there are different types of faith. Unfortunately, the Bible is not very helpful when it comes to defining faith. In the one place that the Bible does describe faith, it says a lot without saying everything that there is to say. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. As one interpretation of this verse has it, faith is a confident, obedient trust in the reality, power and love of God known through his acts and an awaiting of their future consummation. We can also be certain that faith has many facets. 
We believe in Jesus as God's Saviour, and we believe that God has redeemed us through the work of Jesus. It is by faith that we believe, but faith is also the object of our belief. Faith is humankind's response to God's initiative towards us, but it is also seen as the gift of God through his Spirit. Perhaps what we can say about the passage we have before us is that these disciples had faith in Jesus and his power to save, but they lacked faith in how this could change their lives. Faith is believing in Jesus and God's promised salvation, but it is also believing in God's power at work in us in this life. The disciples believed in the former, but found the latter that much harder, and perhaps that's the same with us too. Not forever in green pastures do we ask our way to be, says the hymn. We may not ask our way to be like that, but God says that's the way it sometimes needs to be, for the sake of our soul and our health. We may fall from grace, we may cease to be the person whom others think we are, but Jesus is the Redeemer, and he will bring us home, having guided and guarded us through the valley that is darkened by the shadow that death casts back upon us. Fear of abandonment may haunt us all our days, from the time a child loses sight of its mother to the older person left alone by family and unable to keep in contact with friends. But God's first and last word for us is his love. With this in mind, we are called to live by faith, not just for the next life, but for this life too. We are called to live in radical trust with God, the one on whom all depends. Our passage ended with a parable that is not one of the best known, and it's actually rather comic. Jesus paints a picture of a man who welcomes his slave in from the fields and tells him to sit down while he gets him a cup of tea and a sandwich. Of course, the joke is that this would never happen because a servant doesn't expect thanks for doing his job. Jesus says that this is the other side of the coin with regard to faith. Living a life of obedient faith is not something for which the Christian deserves credit. It's no more than is expected. Salvation is not earned through fulfilling the task that we have been given. We receive salvation, not in grateful thanks from God, whom we've helped out in his task of making the world a better place. Our salvation comes unmerited from a loving Father. I've mentioned recently about my problem with the idea of decluttering. But if I want some comfort that this can be done, I should look back to how we successfully cleared my late mother's house before handing it over to its new owners. This was quite a big deal, as my mother had lived there for 67 years. I wanted something to take away from the house that was my childhood home. And so there was a Forsythia tree at the bottom of the garden that was climbable when I was a small child and was still going strong so I thought I'd take a cutting from it. Now, as some of you will know, this is not really my sort of thing, so I thought I should check with somebody whose sort of thing this was, and I asked John Peters. John told me how to cut off short sections with a straight cut at one end and an oblique cut at the other, in order to remember which way up it needs to be planted. There were a couple of slight problems when I came to take the cuttings, which was that A, I couldn't remember which end was supposed to have which cut, and B, 
I forgot to bring any secateurs. My answer was to cut off a branch, a whole branch, with my penknife and hand the whole thing to John. Well, a few days later, John handed me two pots, each with four little twigs in them. I think why I've never really got on with gardening is because of the lack of instant results. We're living in an Amazon Prime sort of world in which an idea can be transformed into a home delivery that arrives later the same day. And I think John sensed my impatience when I asked him what happens now to these cuttings. He told me that they should stay just where they are until the new year when we might think about moving them on. This seems to be a rather critical point. Will they survive until then? I've got no idea how to move a seedling like this and whether it goes into a bigger pot or into the garden. I've never moved a plant. Unfortunately, we didn't need to worry about this because John's mistake was handing them into my care as they died quite quickly, and so I never did get to find out how to move them on. I've certainly never attempted to move a mulberry tree, or any other plant for that matter, just by faith alone. I imagine that if I wanted to move a plant, I'd probably use a spade. Faith isn't the first thing I would think of to move a tree, but by faith I've hoped for some difficult things to change, illnesses cured, relationships mended, peace on earth. Sadly, people still die, relationships do end instead of reconciliation occurring, and peace on earth seems a very long way off. So is this because my faith is lacking that these things seem to remain the same? Do I not have faith even the size of a mustard seed? Reading this passage with that mindset can be difficult. I mustn't have very much faith because I can't move that tree. O oh Lord, I begin to pray. I need more faith in order to change things. I don't have what I need with me. Increase my faith. I don't think I'm alone in my echo of the disciples' plea. I imagine that we've all had the feeling that our faith doesn't measure up a time or two or six, today already or at least this week. Good coaches encourage their players to develop their skills and push themselves because the coach already sees in these players what they cannot see in themselves, that they already have the ability if they but believe and trust. And so it is with Jesus' response to the apostles. Jesus' words imply not that they're lacking, but that they already have the faith that they seek. But even knowing that Jesus believes the apostles already have the faith they need within themselves, how do we move beyond believing that we need more faith? How do we hear these words as Jesus, not scolding the disciples, but instead reminding them that they have what they need, encouraging them to dig deep? You won't find an answer if you look at the verses that follow in Luke. The next passage doesn't really enlighten this one. Instead, we could turn to the second letter of Timothy's introduction for a word of encouragement in our faith. There are many places within this passage to find strength. Timothy's letter connects us to the faith of those who've gone before us and to how that faith lives on in Timothy. What better way to honour the faith of those who've gone before us and to build up the faith within and among us now than to say that it's still alive because it's been passed on from generations? And the author encourages Timothy, for this reason I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. By looking to the faith fires of the past, we can see how faith will grow again, 
how it will ultimately be passed on to the generations to come. Don't be ashamed. Join us. The gift that we have from God burns within us. The letter to Timothy reminds us all that the story of Jesus is alive among our communities and within us. We have been filled with that spirit, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Can I move a mulberry tree with that spirit? Probably not. But I'll go out on a limb here and say that I don't think that's how Jesus wants me to use it. Instead, our faith points to God's power, not to our own. Our faith points to how God has called us according to God's purpose and grace, not our own. Let's leave it up to God to move the trees as he leaves us to tell the story of how he does it. Jesus brings up something that's falling out of favour in society, a sense of duty. Duty can sound like a musty old book that hasn't been touched in years, but Jesus is going to be faithful to God, even though it means facing an untimely death. He's talking about doing what you are called to do, even when it might cost you. The disciples don't need more faith, and neither do we. We are called to trust God with the faith that we have. It's not a fancy faith, and it may not seem like much, but in Christ it will move mountains. It's not about having enough. It's about knowing that we are enough to the glory of God. Scars that speak of sacrifice 
for you In view of love so true We are changed when you We bring our lives to you A sacrifice for you In view of love so true We are changed when you This is our God The servant king He calls us now To follow him To bring our lives As a daily offering Of worship to The servant king God of all hope, we, your people, lift before you the world. We pray for those fighting in Ukraine, for those suffering in Russian hands. We think too of the innocent, those who've had to flee their homes and country and long for the day they can return. We pray for people in Russia who have been arrested for protesting against the war with Ukraine and for those leaving rather than having to stay and fight for something in which they don't believe. God of all hope, who frames our faith with loving freedom, we put into your hands our prayers for peace, unity and justice. We lift before you all who are concerned about today's economy as the pound falls to a record low. We pray for all people concerned about paying bills, for businesses in our local communities struggling to keep going. We pray for those who, as the weather gets colder and energy bills spiral, will have to decide between heating or eating. God of all hope, who frames our faith with loving freedom, we put into your hands our prayers for trust and provision. We pray for your church, our God, that in these difficult times, these unpredictable times, it will stand firm upon your word. We pray for all ministers and leaders who guide and nurture your people. We pray too for Christians in Parliament. May their voices be heard as they follow your path. God of all hope who frames our faith with loving freedom, we put into your hands our prayers for wisdom and guidance for all who lead. We pray for the sick and all who look after them. We pray for all who are suffering with mental health issues, particularly social media's influence today on young people's mental health. We pray for those who are bereaved, those who are having to adapt to life without a loved one in it, and for the country having to adapt to life with a new monarch. God of all hope who frames our faith with loving freedom, we put into your hands our prayers for healing and comfort. We lift all people who are grieving and entering a new phase in life. May they walk in the power of your love. We, your people, pray for all those trapped by boundaries not of your making, those who have been exploited or abused. May they know your loving freedom as even the tiniest seeds of faith root and grow in loving trust. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. 
our last song comes from Hillsong United, the musical group that is part of the Hillsong Church. And the song is called Oceans. But first, a final prayer. Help us, Lord, to make the most of whatever you have given us. Thank you that our faith has grown during our life's journey, and we can look back on all the ways you have helped us. Show us how our faith can continue to grow, and help us to do whatever is necessary for that to happen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Feel and fear surround 